Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast, sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. This is podcast number 282. So with that number, we'll give a shout out to the Washington Spirit. Their average attendance for the 2019 NWSL season was 4,282, the highest in club history, thanks to two big crowds at Audi Field last fall. And for the time being, Audi Field will host the first game of the 2020 NWSL regular season on Saturday, April 18th, when the Spirit hosts OL Reign, formerly known as Reign FC, formerly known as Seattle Reign, of course. All right, so this episode's a little long, a little late in coming out, but hey, it's a little long too. First, I chatted with Jonathan Tannenwald from the Philadelphia Inquirer about several of the ongoing current WOSO topics like last week's back and forth with the lawsuit, uh, responses, U.S. soccer statement, Carlos Cordero stepping down as U.S. soccer president, and also the announced CBS broadcast deal for NWSL. And then I had a really fun rant session with Brenda Elsie from the Burn It All Down podcast. And Brenda is also co-author of Football Era, a great book about the history of women's soccer in Latin America. Highly recommend it. And in between my two chats, of course, is my recurring segment called Jensplaining. This week, the topic is the general U.S. Women's National Team protocol for celebrating players who reach 100 caps. And of course, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at KeeperNotes or at MixZone. And that's two X's in MixZone. So enjoy. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Jonathan Tannenwald, a.k.a. JT, the soccer reporter for Philadelphia Inquirer. Jonathan, we have so much we can talk about. I don't even know where to start. So where do you want to start? I I don't either. But I guess, you know, I was thinking about it and we might as well start where the buck stops. Yeah, it's a good plan. And the buck stops now with Cindy Parlo-Cone. Right. Um. As I'm sure your listeners are well aware, because we have nothing else to do anymore. <laughs> uh, Everyone, everyone's at home. Yeah, everyone's at home just listening to soccer podcasts. So yeah, Carlos Cordero stepped down as president of U.S. Soccer. Cindy Parlo Cohn becomes what first female president of U.S. Yeah. Soccer and second former national team player. And seriously, I don't know who was the first national team player to be president. Uh, it must have been. It must have been pretty far back, so that like you and I well, would know. Who is it? Uh, you stop. You stop me off. It, so I don't. Uh, I don't know either. So so we'll have listeners Google that while they're listening. But uh, breaking news. <laughs> so w- what did you first think when you when you when you saw that tweet or press release or however you found out about it? What was your reaction? Well, uh, my first reaction was that it had to happen. Yeah. Um, and that Cordero was on the clock as soon as the sponsors started revolting. Right. Which is, you can be as cynical as you want about it, but it's how the world works. And the, the first tell of what was really going on, and I don't have Cordero's letter directly in front of me, but I believe he said something along the lines of, we don't actually have the money to pay the 66 million dollars i think the exact phrase was it wouldn't be fiscally prudent or something like that 
his first letter or his apology letter? His his Saturday night letter. His Saturday night letter, yeah, right before the Spain game. Yeah. Um and they do. I mean, not that not that, that wouldn't wipe them out, but they do. Let me see if I have of course, they won't pretty quickly with, yeah. One I think thing- I do have it. So I'm loading the live, quasi-live radio, right? Not really yeah. live radio. Yeah, not really live radio. Okay. One so of the have- things that I thought about, like when the first sponsor, you know, tweeted, hey, we don't approve of this, I was still a little bit leery because we've seen a lot in the past um, over the last 20 plus years of when something's not going wrong with the women, there there will be a sponsor, whether they're related at, directly to the game or not, kind of stand-ups to support. But sometimes it seems like an attention grab, right? Well, sure. You know, but, but the way, but wait, but what the way they all started doing it and, and, and saying, hey, we're going to have meetings with U.S. soccer, not like we support the women, but we support the women and we're calling U.S. soccer right, right. now. That turned the whole tide of it right. for me. So the first I found here's Cordero's first letter from Saturday night before the U.S. main game. And why did he write it Saturday night? I don't know. But the first thing I thought of was they're in New York. And with all due respect to the rest of the country, most of the mainstream, long-time, not all of it, but most of the mainstream, long-time women's soccer media are on the East Coast of the United States. Well, and, 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 all, and all of your sports channels, and I mean, that, that's, that's, your, that's your media capital for, for the, the country. And, that, and that's no surprise. It's, we're, a lot of us are between New York and Washington, right? Right. Either New York, D.C. or Philadelphia. So yeah. we were there. And it was a big game. It was International Women's Day. Does that mean I would have written a letter? I absolutely would not. No. But so it it here's the letters. He was you know, he's noting in the letter the FIFA prize money at issue is determined by FIFA, not US soccer. As a nonprofit member-based organization, US soccer has obligations to all of our members including 22 national teams, 113 members across the country, millions of players, coaches, and referees at all levels. And we have a responsibility to help all of our members grow. And then he said, there is indeed a significant difference in World Cup prize money awarded by FIFA to the men's and women's championship teams. However, it is not reasonable or fiscally sound for U.S. soccer to make up the gap. It would seriously impair our ability to support our mission and invest in these other critical developmental areas. That was the first tell. And the then first, everything the, else the came first, out. The first tell that what? That they weren't giving, they were not going to give the women what they wanted unless the judge put a gun to their head. Yeah. Well, I just and, think I just think we don't have to even get into the details of the letter so much as like, why then? What do you think this is going to accomplish? Um, like, did anybody, you know, did he clear this with anybody? It, it, it's like, it's just so poorly timed. You know, you already know that that uh, public sentiment is is against you, and I I, I don't see why. I, I don't see what what did he think he was going to accomplish from that letter. I, I guess it was me. I don't. I you know, I did not talk to Carlos at the weekend or whatever. You know, I saw Ernie Stewart and Kate Markgraf in New York and talked to them. But they have nothing to do well. Right. I, I don't put this on them. 
I'm not yeah, gonna say yeah. Do it. Well, yeah, they're they're, they're 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 recent hires. They're not in control of that. They yeah yeah. Correct. And that, and that's and, what's so important. That's what I like with you know Wednesday night's game. How after the game when Flotko and Anoski was asked about the players, um, you know, wearing their shirts inside out as a, as a kind of a quiet protest. You know, he's like, I sense that they were doing something. I didn't ask them about it. It's it's like because that's not his fight. They're not going to drag him into their issues. You know, it's like you've got all these different pieces, right? The technical staff, you've got the management staff, you've got the board of U.S. Soccer, you've got the upper VP staff at U.S. Soccer, and there's so many different parts, and not all of them are at, at, at fault, especially when you know that the bulk of people on the board of U.S. Soccer are really just volunteers, right? And they've been volunteers for a long time, but and, well, but the buck has to well stop. Well-paid volunteers in their real jobs, but yes. right. Right. But, but I mean, but they're, they're not making money off of U.S. soccer. They're not making money off their trouble from U.S. soccer, but, um, but, well, well, now I'm talking about the board members. I'm not talking about CEOs and COOs. I'm not talking about those people, Um, but the buck has to stop, but the buck has to stop with someone. So the buck stops with the president. Yeah. And when you're the president of U.S. soccer, you can't know, you can't not know what's in your legal filings. You have to read them first. Yeah, and if you are not, as he's, if you if he was telling the truth that he didn't read anything, that is dereliction of duty. <laughs> that, that's that's like so. Why are you speaking if you haven't bothered to read any of these things? And and, and you know the for, I'm sure people have seen the exact language, but you know. My job is sometimes is to make sure that everybody knows the exact wordings of things. And here is the exact wording of things from the court filing that ultimately brought the ship down. Yeah. Yeah. This was US, this was US soccer attempting to get the get the judge basically one last shot in terms of both sides were filing to compel their version of summary judgment to be what the judge would decide. And here's what U.S. soccer said in part, but this is the big part. Even plaintiffs acknowledge that the level of skill required for each job in question, women's and men's player, must be measured. And there was a quote from a filing measured by the experience, ability, and the ability was in italics and bold, education and training required to perform a job the overall soccer playing ability required to compete at the senior men's national team level is materially influenced by the level of certain physical attributes, such as speed and strength required for the job. Later, um, plaintiffs asked the court, plaintiffs being players, asked the court to conclude that the ability required of a women's player is equal to the ability required of a men's national team player as a relative matter, bold italics, by ignoring the materially higher level of speed and strength required to perform the job of a men's player. I'm going to let Brenda Elsie go off on that later. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into the weeds, the weeds of all of it, because that, that could be a a two hour conversation. I'll just say that's, I I got a lot of lawyers in my family. (laughs) Um, I'm not one, but I, I speak the language a little bit to me. That is us soccer asking to lose. And I just think if you're, again, if you're Carlos Cordero, and you don't know that's in there, you aren't doing your job as president, and you have to take responsibility for it, and he did. Ultimately, and he he fell on a sword. 
But but let's talk about what happened leading up to that, because I still feel like there were some missteps before that, because separate from the letter that we got Sunday night, the reaction to it, uh, sorry, Saturday night, the reaction to it Sunday, all the court filings very late Monday, early Tuesday. So Tuesday, we have all of this horrible language coming out that sure, even if you're aware that, you know, the way our law system works, it's like, you know, you get as harsh as you can, right? Because you're trying to win your case. Some of that stuff is like, really? Like, did you you think that was going to help you? So what I think is interesting is how long it took Carlos Codero, US Soccer to respond to the sponsors with that apology that did not hit until into the second half of the game Wednesday night. So then it's handed to Sebastian Salazar to read live on TV. And he, you know, like he hadn't read it before, right? It was handed to him. That, that was not a planned kind of thing. And it just, it blows my mind that it took that long, that they didn't have something ready before the game kicked off, right? Well, that it that, took that long. It's another tell of what they really think. Right. And, you know, I, I, I'm not... Look, I'm I'm skeptical in a lot of ways about the board of directors and you know what what you know what they're doing all the time and you know who they are and how much influence they have. But I don't I don't actually expect everybody on the board to read all two twenty six hundred pages. Right. But the president should. Right. And especially if he's gonna speak publicly about it. And if you know if if people are going to accuse Don Garber of sort of profiteering by jumping in on this, well, he probably also helped take Cordero down because um, he doesn't. He, the fact that he said that publicly, he he doesn't rebel against Cordero like that. He doesn't say anything publicly against Cordero like that. Cindy Cohn speaking out against him. Chris Ahrens, who chairs the Athletes' Council. Heather O'Reilly, who's on the Athletes' Council, and with Ahrens, if my memory is correct, they voted for Cordero. And, you know, O'Reilly saying we now realize that was a mistake. Right. Uh, and But given the choices at the time... Yes. We we totally know why they were going with Cordero. And he was someone who at the time was speaking very positively positively yeah. about, hey, we're putting in this bid to try to get the 2026 World Cup. Why aren't we bidding for the 2027 Women's World Cup at the same time? So the, yeah. I've actually asked U.S. soccer, when's the bid coming? And they've, as far as I know, they're not going to bid until after, start it until after 23 is voted on. But I expect them to bid the next day. Right, but 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 you can't bid on anything until FIFA has put out the the bid. No, but you can parameters. say you're going to do it and get people talking. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and, but anyway, so let's 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 right. keep it keep it focused on 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 this week. But yeah, it was it was so surprising to me that especially I mean Wednesday was an incredibly bizarre day, not just in sport, but you know, in, in many things, all the things that were hitting during the, the four plus hours that I was in the press box of like, this has been canceled. This has been suspended. Tom Hanks has COVID-19, right. um, you know, and, and then, and, and then we get the, Oh, here's this apology. And it's like now at the, you know, late in the game and that couldn't have been done earlier. But so once that apology hit, what do you think happened from there to getting the, 
pretty late night email. I think what it was uh, like maybe 11 p.m. Central, midnight Eastern Thursday that Carlos Cordero has stepped down. Uh, it wasn't quite that late because it made it into our paper here. Okay, so that was that was the official press release right. that came through. So it was a few hours before then. Okay, um, the Cordero's tweet went out earlier in the, like nine Eastern, uh huh, thereabouts, I think. And as the Associated Press, I think, reported, U.S. Soccer's own communications team didn't know he was doing it. Nice. Um, which again blows my mind. But I want to, I want to, I want to pinpoint a couple of points along the way. The advertisers rebel, the sponsors rebelling was obviously the biggest thing because ultimately they, and the one who we know the one that didn't say anything was Nike. And I think this right. might be the most, but it probably applies to Coca-Cola too and others. It is their money that is ultimately going to be the $66 million. Correct. Um, and I, I also, I really believe as much as a lot of people hate, hate Don Garber, I don't. I think he's very good at his job, and his job is to be the number one cheerleader for MLS and make them a lot of money. And he does both. I think him saying that was a big inflection point because here was the establishment of the board calling Cordero out. Right. And and I bet there's a lot of um, people that follow just women's soccer and not much more not being aware that MLS Commissioner Don Garber, Garber did come out and and say, I was shocked and angry at the media yes. reports. And, and he does. Actually, I know people don't want to believe this, but I know it well enough. He does actually believe in women's soccer and want it to succeed. Well, and more importantly, based on his comments, it said he expressed to the president of the Federation in no uncertain terms how unacceptable and offensive he found the statement to be. So it's like he's not just telling the public. He actually went to the person in charge and said, hey, that's that's I said, right. I believe I said at that point, "Okay, the clock is running. Interesting. Interesting. Um, So what happens now? Well, so now now Cindy Parlocone, member of the 96 Olympic team. 99 World Cup championship team, you know, over 100 caps, yada, yada. Um, she she ran for vice president for, it was supposed to be just for 2019 to fill the end of Carlos Cordero's term, but she ran again. So now she's president. What, she's inheriting, inheriting a fun, fun job. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I would like to know, I don't know her personally, the way other people do. You'd like to hope that her first phone call was to Becca Rue. And uh, but Becca, but Becca's not the one in charge of all the legal stuff for the Players Association. No, but she's their she's their executive director or whatever. But she would she would have I mean, yes. I take your point, but you know, Ma, I don't I don't think Molly Levinson is the lawyer per se. She's the spokesperson, right? Right, right. Um, but look. Technically, because the, the Women's National Team Players Association is not the entity suing, Rue can't settle the case, but I still might make her the first phone call. Yeah, I'm just a, a, like, hey, yeah, maybe like, hey, let's map out a plan. Um, you know, let's let's get this train back on track. And, and yeah, and let's let as I think it was Kim McCauley who tweeted this a couple days ago. Let's call Becky Sauerbrunn, Michael Bradley, 
um, and now Cindy. And uh, the, the men's national team's attorney, because the men haven't had a CBA in now, what, 15 months? Something like that, right. yeah. So call everybody up. Go get a, a, a conference room at the Hilton at O'Hare. Sit down, shut the door, order some lunch, and finish it. Just do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's something to Nike's phrase, in fact, because they're going to be. Let's do, know, it. And call Let's Nike. do it. I was about to say, and then call Nike and say, look, here's how big a check we need. Um, but the irony, of course, is that just do it is Nike's catchphrase. But do it. Well, one thing that Julie Foudy said um, on the broadcast Sunday, and and I see the wisdom in this, she, she's like, bottom line, like, you know, this fight could go on forever if it's going on through the lawyers and through the media. She's like, you just have to sit down and, you know, face to face and and hammer through it. I mean, that's kind of what they did with the last CBA. And, and what's interesting with things being canceled and shut down and changed, like there actually may be more time and opportunity for both sides to do that in a way that just a week ago there wouldn't have been right. Like, like like the judge saying the trial is going to be May 5th when they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. It should be after the Olympics, but now they might, you know, they might not have, you know, they're not going to have their April camp. They're not going to have their April women's national team games. So, you know, hopefully with, uh, you know, Cindy Parlo in charge, but of course she still has to deal with, you know, whoever the, the leaders are internally. And by, and by that, I mean like, so Jay Burhalter has stepped down, but who are the other officers, not officers, but like, you know, uh, VPs. Yeah. Yeah. Who are, yeah. Who are the, who are the full-time people in charge? Not, not the elected members of the board, but the people hired internally, uh, you know, that that run things. So that's I mean that's Ryan Ramini is the top of the food chain right now. And yeah. you know, Lydia Wal- Lydia Walkie's job I would think might be in danger at this point. Um because she's the chief legal officer and at some point I think she has to take a little responsibility here too. Because she yeah. did probably read all this. Um but you know if the if the board and you know people don't know who Tim Turney is, people don't. Some people know Mike Galena, but you know people don't know the independent directors. They don't know the youth and adult council types. Some of whom, by the way, I'm not sure care about this all that much the way the public does. Yeah, and and yeah, most of those names aren't public, right? It's such a a big organization, and U.S. Soccer doesn't just run the U.S men and women's national team as, as that statement you read um, implies that uh, there's, you've got all the youth national teams, you know, it's ultimately responsible for not, not running MLS and NWSL, but, you know, certifying that you've got all the youth soccer, you've got Paralympic, you've got coaching education. There's so many levels to it and there's so many different stakeholders and that's why the election of carlos cordero was was so fascinating to see play out because what there were seven eight different candidates and and you've got different blocks that that vote where you have the athletes council you've got the people that represent all the youth associations you've got the small adult soccer thing you've got the professional it's like 
it's such an amazing unwieldy beast that (laughs) you know it's like it's not a quick fix and and right now we haven't had a ceo and they've been sitting on that for a while and you know i'm sure they've made offers and i'm sure they've had people say not interested you've got way too much litigation and you're not offering me enough compensation to deal with that much litigation right like who's who's gonna want that job i don't know um but again this i think is where cohen can say and if and if cohen can say to somebody like Don Garber and to Alec Papadakis, uh, sorry, not Alec Papadakis, he just went off the board. Steve Malik, who's on the board, who certainly knows Cindy Cohen. Right. If he can say to the two of if she can say to the two of them, let's get this done and let's get the money in place to do it, I'd like to think they will back her up. And right. in terms of getting the money in place, this brings to mind something you talked about the presidential election. Cordero made two big promises that is how he won. He said to the Athletes Council, I'm not going to hire the coaches the way Sunil did. I'm going to pick people to do that and get out of the way, which he has done. Yes. And the other thing he said was, we need a lot more money in the bank. I'm the one, like, from, I think his phrase was, like, from multiples of, like, 5 or 50 million to multiples of 500 million. So the U.S. soccer can catch up to the European FAs who have enormous amounts more money in their bank accounts to fund coaching, education, and so on and so forth. Right. Um, Right. He has not done that. He has not done that at all. The Volkswagen sponsorship, I think, was the only really big one that has come in during his tenure, right? Right. And so that's – and that's him not succeeding. And I I, – I don't know. I mean, Jay Berhalter being gone doesn't help. But as I wrote in my story on Cordero resigning, Berhalter and Flynn were the big power players behind the scenes, especially when it came to money stuff. Um, Berhalter's view of the women's team over time became pretty clear, I think it's safe to say. Um, And once they were gone, Cordero was it. Then this stuff all comes out and he's toast. And I, you know, Paul Kennedy called him a lame duck president on Twitter, which is something a lot of people have said behind the scenes. And Grant Wall called for his head. And as I joked on Twitter when that happened, uh, Grant was four for four at the time for calling for heads. He's now five for five. Um, <laughs> and this is something, Jen, that you and I can get into if, if we want, because we both work in the soccer media. Um, there are There are a lot of people in the American sports media who could call for the head of the U.S. soccer president. And it wouldn't really matter in a way. I mean, it would because they would be famous people. But they're not really soccer people, you know? Right. Those of us in the soccer community would say, hey, thanks for coming by. Would you stick around for five minutes and go to an NWSL game while you're here? Right. There are a lot of us in the soccer media who could call for Carlos's head. And we would get clicks and retweets, but it wouldn't really make an impact. Yeah, it, it would just be that kind of echo chamber, you know, yeah. And a few of us, you know, there are some people who probably have the clout and won't do it because we're reporters. You know, we're not really columnists. Right. Um, and the only time, like, I'm probably one of them, Steve Goff of Washington Post, who I respect a ton, 
has the clout, but is not going to write a Carlos Cordero must-go column. You know? Right. But that's not what we do. He wrote a Sunil must-go column because we all wrote Sunil must-go columns. <laughs> so, um, but there's I really only know of three people who can say directly, call for somebody's head. And it would it would get through the doors of the U.S. soccer house and hit him hard. And it's Grant Wall, Paul Kennedy, and Bob Lee. And who's the third one? Bob Lee of ESPN. For gotcha. Yeah. And that doesn't mean U.S. soccer shouldn't listen to the rest of us. I'm just saying those are the kinds of people who, when they do that, it gets through the door over there and they did it. Well, and their voice, their those voices reverberate beyond the soccer community, which is why it's more impactful. Right. So, so what happens? I mean, I've already said it, but what, but what happens now? I mean, it, we're we're at a, such a strange place where all of this is happening, but then behind it, we've got the shutdowns coming from right. COVID. So, you know, we're not going to have the men's friendlies. The women's friendlies, uh, there's a chance the U23 Olympic qualifying tournament will be shut down if it hasn't been already. Already, uh, uh, is it is it final? Men's, men's, you mean? Yeah, the men's U23 Olympic uh, it, qualifying. It is, yeah. The word CONCACAF used was suspended. Suspended, okay. Which is an uh, interesting word because if they postpone it, it gets played. Right. If they bag it, the U.S. isn't going to Tokyo because they're not the AC. Interesting. Very interesting. I believe, um, let me look up real quick. I believe Honduras is the AC because they went last. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not concerned about this, that at this point. Um, but then we also have, you know, so, so moving from us soccer to our, you know, our league NWSL. So, Hopefully, you know, U.S. soccer, Cindy Parlocone can use this time where there's, you know, less events happening. So maybe this can get all resolved. Fingers crossed, you know, rose colored glasses on. Um, now, at the same time, we've got NWSL. The thing, by the way, about a settlement. Uh-huh. And sorry for going off on the men's tangent. Sometimes <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I do it too. I, I think I talked about, you know, everybody sitting down in one room and just fixing it. Right. I think there is a number that uh, an amount of money that U.S. soccer is directly, really directly responsible for in terms of back pay going the distance of the class in the suit. Uh, I don't think that number is $66 million because I think there's some fee for money in there. But I think there's a number that if U.S. soccer says, here's the number and we're going to tack on a healthy amount extra because you won four world cups and four Olympic gold medals. And we're going to settle this thing. I'll bet you they would say yes. And I might be wrong. Brenda might yell at me, but that's just my hunch. Oh, I'm, I'm sure they would, but I, and I, and I think I would like to believe that they're probably even more concerned about moving forward than capturing 67 million. Right. Like it may be, it may be more important to settle on that, but to make sure that all the, rewards and and you know bonuses going forward are treated equitably so that you don't have to have this kind of situation again one of the, one of the things that really stuck out for me this past weekend being in new york and and getting to be part of the the espn crew was something that that um 
Julie Foudy had mentioned that I hadn't thought of it this way before, is that U.S. soccer had always negotiated bonuses for Olympic medals, you know, stuff like that, um, long before there was any bonus money related to that. Now, there's still almost no bonus money coming from the Olympics for, play, you know, getting gold. But the women had negotiated bonuses in their CBAs for the World Cup long before FIFA offered even a dollar of bonus money for winning the World Cup. So they can't use the, well, FIFA doesn't pay us enough because they've always offered a bonus long before there was any money coming from from FIFA. But anyway, I wanted to add that because because what you said made me think about that. But let's let's shift gears to NWSL. So we have some really awesome things happening for NWSL, and then again moving into this big kind of question mark time period. So finally got a commissioner. Uh, she made the rounds in New York. Um, I heard she talked to a lot of media, did a lot of glad, glad handing. We tried to get her on the broadcast, but she was moving around so much. There was just no way to make that happen. And I can't tell you how good it felt this week, knowing that the NWSL was going to have to make a pretty big decision because of COVID-19 to know that we actually had an empowered commissioner in place. She put her name on it. Yeah. The announcement went out. So yeah. you are you are right that Lisa Baird met with the media um, in New York. In fact, not only that, she uh, she walked in and said, "Look, you know, she only had like five or six minutes." She said, "Let me first of all go around and ask each of you to tell me who you are." Nice, um, which was very nice. Um, I'm pretty optimistic about her, and the reason why is because she knows how to make money for women's sports. And yes, I've had a lot of people, including some who I'm sure are listening to this show, um, tell me that the NWSL needs an operations person and the commissioner needs to care about operations, and I get all that. Um, My hope is that she ultimately has a deputy commissioner to handle that, because I believe that her number one job is to make as much money for this league as she possibly can. Well, and I sense that that's what it'll shift to maybe by the end of the year once they do finally make the shift away from U.S. soccer, right? They postpone the the separation for a year. You know, I can definitely see that happening. I, I love the wealth of experience that she has. If, if you look at her LinkedIn profile, you know, IBM, NFL, Olympics, you know, like, like you know, a serious commissioner. And when you look back and see the commissioners we've had, so we started with Cheryl Bailey, who really was just an administrator, right? Her background was sports administration. All the players on the national team knew her. So that was, you know, a trust measure. Um, You know, she was just doing that because everything, she took that gig because it happened so quickly, right? So of course, U.S. soccer knew they could call on her. And then you transition to having a commissioner like Jeff Plush, who has some more kind of high level pro soccer background. And, you know, really his legacy is, is, is the lifetime deal, which kind of shifted shifted the league into the next gear. You know, there's not much else he can claim credit for, but that's pretty big. And then we just kind of had this stall of, okay, Amanda Duffy is chief operating officer or president or something. She's acting like the commissioner, but she's clearly not, you know, given that title or really empowered that way. So I just feel like the last few years have stalled. And so just having 
this person in place that is not only clearly empowered and named commissioner, but the background she has. So I'll, I'll say it again. I was just, I knew that this week I was like, we're going to st- see a statement from NWSL. They're not going to sleep on this the way we've seen them in the past. So I'm going to say this about Amanda Duffy and maybe get in some trouble, but that's what I do <laughs> when I come on the show. You do it don't well, you think that, Don't you think that if she had earned the job of commissioner, she would have gotten it? Um, Maybe you can't answer that. But. I'm No, because I, 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 there's some things I know and there's a lot of things I don't know. But what I'm going to say is she was never given the opportunity to earn it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, from, from my experience. And again, I am not around the, the day in, day out, don't have a lot of sources in that direction, but she was clearly used as a plug. That's that it's, it's a horrible word to say. It's, it's like, of just like, okay, just make sure everything runs, but nothing happens, you know? So yeah. in, 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 a, in a way I feel, I feel good that it's like, she gets to go back to the club level and actually get to do something. I'll, I'll believe that. Um, I look. I was never. I was never overly. I mean, I liked her well enough. She called me back a few times, which was very nice of her. Given that I'm not, you know, in a, a market or anything like that. Um, <laughs> and I worked. I worked with her pretty well. I was never. You know, she. She's. I was never overly thrilled with her. Right. I right. Just, you know, and, 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 and like, like I say, she wasn't empowered to succeed. Clearly, she was set up to fail. Um, now if, she, if she had been empowered, who knows? Because as I've said a couple times in recent weeks, uh, including on Twitter and um, on, uh, you know, on a couple of other shows, I don't think she particularly needed her defense, her self-appointed defense attorney, Arnon Whistler, up there with her too many times. Yeah, but that yeah, and we're going to get off in the weeds on on that anyway. But let's let's talk about now. So now we have a real commissioner, um, you know, ac- and actually reacting to things in in real time. And now we finally have the announcement we've all been waiting for, uh, a TV deal. So tell me your your thoughts about that. <sighs> I- I just don't have any other word for it. The one I'm going to use, which is I'm a little underwhelmed. That's fair. That's fair. Um, Not necessarily because of the broadcast side of it. I thought there might be one or two more games on big CBS. I like that CBS sports network has a couple of wild card picks in the back pocket to go and put games on toward the end of the year that are going to matter. Um. It's the streaming side of it that I'm not thrilled about in this particular regard, which is Twitch getting the international rights. Why is that? Across the board. I think it's going to lend to people getting VPNs and going around CBS All Access. I think some people do that, but there's still a lot of people. I'm surprised at the number of people when I say, hey, you know, you could watch this European game if you just do a VPN, or you could watch this Australian game if you did. They're like, I don't know how. I don't want to. I, You know, like, and you still have to pay for a VPN unless you really know what you're doing. So as, as long as CBS All Access is easy to sign up for, easy to use... I think in some ways that 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 can that can trump things, but I think what it really comes down to 
is how good of a job does Andy Russell do explaining how to watch, right? That yeah. was the that was the big issue that first year with Lifetime with having the stream games on Go90. It was like, well, where are they going to be? Do you have to pay? How do you, you know, can you rewatch? How do they, you know, that it's like just not explaining that information. If you do a really good job of saying, here's how to watch. Like I saw a tweet yesterday from... Uh, the Australia W League that said, hey, for those viewers outside of Australia, this is how to watch the playoffs. It's like, exactly. Thank you. Right? Because they're acknowledging that that people all over want to watch. And the easier you make it for people to watch, the more people are going to watch. Yeah. I I suppose that um, there's probably one other reason why I'm not thrilled with the Twitch side of it. Mm-hmm. Which is, I sort of wanted some of these games to get on television internationally. And maybe this doesn't maybe. preclude that, but I'm a little underwhelmed in that regard at the moment. Well, and I'm still waiting to see, like, so the games on CBS and CBS Sports, you know, who will the talent be? Will those be done on site or not, you know, that's, that, that's a big question. What kind of other production will be done around it? You know, one of the things that I think we all loved about the two years on Lifetime was the halftime features they did. That was some serious investment, um, you know, in, in those. Well, well that believes got to go out and hire some people straight up. Right. Right. Um, so, I hope well, anyway, do. let's, We've we've gone on much longer than I intended, JT. But uh, let's let's pick one last one last thing to talk about so we can wrap it up. So so give me give me a good kind of wrap up thought on just these last few days in women's soccer. I don't know. I just you know. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good answer. It, I think it was Caitlin Murray who said this: the U.S. women just won again. And it is oh, that's a nice way to say it. It is it is remarkable. I think that they are everything that they are because it does not have to be this way. You know, that they are still winning and still incredibly talented and, you know, great personalities and charismatic and all this other stuff. It doesn't have to be this way. And yet it is. Right. And Look, obviously, U.S. soccer came off looking really bad. When you're asking these dumb questions about, you know, to Kelly O'Hara, what's the difference between the men's World Cup and the women's World Cup? And she says the men play in one of them. Well, you're asking for it. <laughs> you're asking for it. The men didn't have to sue. To, the men didn't have to sue to play on grass. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's it's. I, I said this, I think I said this last night, and I took some heat for it, but I'm not quite constrained to 280 characters, so I'll give it a shot here. I'm not, like, my, my initial reaction last night when Cordero resigned was not happiness. It was not celebration. It was like, this is all really bad, and it shouldn't be this way. And it is. It's a bad thing that it is. And I'm not going to run around celebrating because I'd rather put my energy into saying, fix it. Yeah. 
and let's get it right because it shouldn't be that hard to get it right. It might not be cheap to get it right at this point, but it's not hard. And that's what I want to see. And so, no, I'm not celebrating, you know? I'm glad there was accountability. That was good. Yeah. But I'm not happy. With the whole thing, I'm not happy. Yeah, and no one should be. Well, JT, um, I know you and I could keep going on forever, but thank you so much for taking the time to talk soccer. And thank you so much for your personal commitment over the last several years to cover women's soccer as much as possible. Because I know you are at a you know major U.S. newspaper that has a lot of things to cover and no NWSL team in market, but you still seem to get as much women's soccer coverage in as you can. Covering the U.S. women is my favorite thing to do. And maybe it would be different if the local MLS team here was any good or played in the city instead of being bad, cheap, and 20 miles out in the suburbs. <laughs> but it is great fun for me to cover this team, and it always has been. Time for a little gensplaining. Today's topic, celebrating 100 international caps on the U.S. national team. So in the last several weeks, we've seen both Crystal Dunn and Julie Ertz earn their 100th cap for the USA. They're, we now have 40 players all time who have reached the 100 cap milestone. And you may have wondered why U.S. soccer didn't celebrate each player's achievement on the actual day of the 100th cap. So first, U.S. soccer cannot control pregame ceremonies for a game that it's not running. In other words, even though Crystal Dunn earned her 100th cap during Olympic qualifying last month, U.S. soccer could not do a special pregame ceremony during that specific game since that's a CONCACAF tournament and not a USA friendly. So plans were made to celebrate Crystal Dunn's 100 cap milestone during the She Believes Cup. And since she's from Long Island, she chose the fixture at Red Bull Arena in New Jersey versus Spain for her big celebration day. That way all of her family could be there. It's as close as possible to her hometown, etc. And so, of course, that's the game where she wore the captain's armband, recognized pregame. They give her a jersey uh, with the 100 on the back. I think the protocol is still that you get a Timex watch or something really fancy like that. And of course, her longtime teammate, Julie Ertz, she earned her 100th cap during the She Believes tournament. And she will undoubtedly be honored at the U.S. Friendly of her choice sometime in the future once the schedule gets gets back together. So don't be surprised if a player hits 100, but that actual game, they're not wearing the captain's armband or, or getting a big ceremony. It depends, one, on if they're a regular starter or not, right? You can't always plan for the 100th cap. But more importantly, is it a game that U.S. soccer can control? And for the player, they want it to be as special as possible. So if they're able to plan ahead, that's why they tend to do it afterwards. And they definitely want to do it on home soil. Anybody who's earned their 100th cap, uh, you know, playing abroad, definitely they want to have a celebration ceremony at home. So that's it for this week's Gensplainer. If you ever have a question or a topic for Gensplainer, just send me an email at keeper at keepernotes.com.
All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Brenda Elsie, a woman who wears many hats in not only the sport world, but also academia. So, Brenda, I want you to tell me about those hats. But, of course, your most identifiable, I think, characteristic to the public would be you're one of the, the hosts of the Burn It All Down podcast. I love that you say that. That's, that's a great hat. <laughs> I'm so proud. <laughs> To wear that flaming hat. Um, Yeah, I am a co-host of Burn It All Down. I am also an associate professor of history at Hofstra University, development lead uh, for the Americas at the Fairnet. And also, um, I co-wrote Footballera, a history of women in sport in Latin America with Josh Nadel. And I talked to you and Josh last year about that book, one of my all-time favorite football books. And I've read a lot of football. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, but so it, it's funny, I was thinking this week as things were developing, especially, uh, you know, the letter from Carlos Codero, the first one that got posted Saturday night, you know, the reaction to it. And I kept thinking, I'm not sure what I want to do for this week's podcast. I'm not sure who I want to talk to. And then sitting in the press box at Toyota Stadium Wednesday night, and I'm, you know, looking at my feed and one of your tweets, I was like, yes, I need to talk to Brenda. like it was just like you're like this is unacceptable this is wrong this i was like yeah yeah i'm gonna talk to i'm gonna talk to brenda so really i just want to walk through the last week and just like your reaction and if you you know i'm sure you guys have talked about this on your podcast or will talk about this on your podcast but like you know what your discussion would be because it just it's funny carlos codero's letter from saturday night it hit after we had finished our production meeting for ESPN, I, I worked the Sunday game for ESPN. So it's like it threw everything out the window, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's just the more you think about it, that it's like, wait, why are you launching something the night before a big game for the U.S. women? And, you know, how does this relate to the legal filings or is it supposed to? And it's International Women's Day. And it's just... To me, it seems kind of cheesy also to tweet like we want to do everything and, you know, but but these are our problems. It's like, dude, there's a legal process now, right? You shouldn't be tweeting at all. But but what are your thoughts? I mean, it was just really horribly mismanaged by Carlos Cordero. I think it's been horribly mismanaged by him since last summer. And it was just a bungled affair. But it was really for me, the court filings that I just couldn't fathom. I mean, he himself is one individual as part of this structure, but in terms of the court filings, these are things that are poured over and worked on and discussed. And so they represented much more to me in many ways um, because they're not just one person's opinion and they were absolutely just patently sexist. And I just, I am still in awe of the fact that they just did not seem to understand. I mean, the board of directors, everybody at Youth Soccer Federation did not seem to understand the goodwill that this team generated and that this was just going to be unacceptable to people. And I don't think any of us would have thought that the U.S. woman could have gotten more popular or have built a bigger following but uh, over the last week, I think they have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's one of those things where, where people try 
to justify what's happening. And they do it through sort of implicit things like marketability. And that for many people doesn't smack of sexism, even though it should. But for many people, that kind of argument doesn't feel like an old schoolyard bully situation. It's sort of like, okay, there's the market. The market's a reality. And even though we know that institutions like the U.S. Soccer Federation have everything to do with how many games get played and how they're marketed and how those economics are developed, it's still for some people a quote-unquote reality game. Yeah. And and so the 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 difference with the court filing is that not only did they did they put individual players in a position which was really like one of of aggression, like 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 receiving aggression from their own federation, but then there was just an outward patent obvious sexism that I think most people were surprised by. Yeah, the the angle of, you know, could you beat the men? It's like, that's really not what they're arguing. And it, it seemed like they were using all of those classic tropes of just like, are you kidding? Um, oh, oh, I just, I can't even, I get like so mad. I didn't even know if I'm ready to record Burn It All Down this week. Like, I mean, like, I'm so angry on so many levels. I mean, first, the scientific argument. Which is, you know, asking Carly Lloyd or citing things like you can't beat boys. Right. It's, it, it is something that is so offensive intellectually, knowing that the EEOC and that policies about gender discrimination are, are you discriminated on the basis of gender? These, this is just an obvious that, that if there was such a scientific thing, you wouldn't have a job for the U.S. women's national team. Exactly. There, there just you, would be no national team. Right. So you do have a job for them, and they are the best at that job. And not only <laughs> not only in their own country, but in the world. Right. But I mean, let's just take this country, even if they were the worst in the world. You know, the point yeah. is that they're, that they're being hired by this federation, and they are being discriminated upon on the basis of their gender. And the very arguments that they're making prove that. And so the scientific angle was absolutely infuriating. I just, and intellectually vapid, and I don't think it has any legal standing, though I'm not a lawyer. Um, and, and that was infuriating. And then there was like this whole, uh, this whole other element of men carrying more responsibility, which I just, I'm, I'm trying not to shriek right now. And that's a very self-gendering term. But um, the idea that they carry more responsibility because they are booed. Well, in fact, one of the reasons that the U.S. men's national team has that kind of revenue is because Mexican fans are excited to see the U.S.-Mexico play and that that U.S. Soccer Federation schedules those matches knowing that purposely. So all of these things pretend as though sports just happen the way they happen. Right. The men men have actually benefited by having opponents like that. Right. Of course. And of of course they have. And and, and to be honest with you, if you look at the rhetoric of U.S. men's players, they love that rivalry. They don't they don't consider it this undue burden. Right. That it's, it's, it's something that's actually preparation for a World Cup. It's preparation for World Cup. They're excited that fans are there even when they're booing. 
even right. when they're you know and and really those matches get scheduled where they're scheduled so that there's not like a hundred percent booing anyway so let's right. face it like a lot of dynamism around u.s soccer has to do with the latino fan base and they know that so then to say to use that again women players and say men shoulder more responsibilities and once again who schedules how many matches each team plays like u.s <laughs> soccer federation <laughs> Well, and get get this, Brenda, I'm not sure if you're aware, um, just last week they announced uh, the CONCACAF Nations League semifinals. They'll they'll both be in Houston. But get this, the Mexico semifinal will be played at NRG Stadium, which holds 70,000. The U.S. men's semifinal will be in BBVA Stadium, which holds 22,000. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just it's it's just sort of infuriating because it's it's so obviously intellectually vapid, and it, it just it's it's like digging and looking for ways to win this argument that is so insulting. I think to women and to girls and to male fans that are not sexist, and to you know non-binary people who are not sexist, and anyone who actually respects the women's team, and. I, I want listeners to understand that a lot of this stuff came out this week because there was a filing deadline, which I think was maybe midnight Pacific Monday night uh, for responses to the summary judgments. And the summary jump judgments, if I understand correctly, are basically each side saying to the judge, look, our, you know, by our evidence, we're so right, they're so wrong, there shouldn't be a trial. So these are the responses to the judgments. And then I think there's a reply later. But so that's why all this stuff was coming out now. But it was just, it was unreal to, to, to read some of those ex- excerpts. And then to hear that, uh, you know, Carlos Cordero admitted, the president of U.S. soccer, that he hadn't read all of the filings. Well, he said that. I mean, I don't know yeah. what he said. I mean, that might be very convenient or not convenient. Either you're well, inept true, or you're true or a false. Yeah. Sexist, you know? yeah. Like, Either way, it's really bad, you know. And and one of the things I I said in my other chat is I found it really strange how slow the response was. So as as soon as all of the excerpts were getting out there Tuesday, you had, you know, a lot of media and even sponsors start to line up to say this is ridiculous. Like we don't want to give money to an organization that actually believes this, you know, and instead of being what we've seen in the past, where it's just the sponsor saying we support the women. No, they're actually saying we want to pull our funds, you know? So what surprised me was how long it took us soccer to actually respond that it was well into the game Wednesday night, you know? And again, I, I think that speaks to just their unawareness of, of how, public sentiment is really on the side of the players and that this is not something that they can just ignore. And probably just a gross miscalculation of the kind of platform that those players have. I mean, I, I would venture to guess that those players sponsorships would yield far more than just (laughs) U S soccer Federation on their own in terms of just how many Instagram posts there are and how much they're worth and how many interactions there are and things that I don't fully understand, but I do have a sense that they are far more valuable than what U S soccer Federation bargained for. Well, and and I love the, the very 
soft, quiet protest they did that was incredibly effective. Um, I had a photographer at the match with me Wednesday and she texted, she said, hey, do you know why the players are wearing their training tops inside out? And I'm like, what? Because from where I was in the press box, I couldn't tell, you can't tell that. Like you would have to look at it for a while to see that, oh, the Nike swoosh is on the opposite side. But then when she said that, I'm like, wow, it is, you know, and then when they did the team huddle for the picture, they always take pictures of the starting lineup. Usually Mm -hmm. it's just the 11, right? But they had all 23 go out there. And that is is like brilliant, understated, but so effective, you know, and and the the follow-up, you know, to that, I think has been has been really smart. And this whole time, of course, they're still going to play. They're not going to not play. Um, I had a friend ask me, she's like, do you think they'll strike? And I said, no, they, they have a no strike clause. And, and part of their agreement with U.S. soccer is U.S. soccer is not, you know, is not going to lock them out. And that's, that's smart on both sides, right? Like, why would you undercut the thing that, you know, keeps the money flowing for everybody? You know, similarly, like the, you know, the women don't play abroad as much. It's like, right us soccer because you keep scheduling home games for them because you make money (laughs) off the home games you don't like going to the algarve cup anymore because you don't make money off the algarve cup (laughs) or you don't negotiate enough to make that money i mean i really was surprised that they didn't do a better job of having a tour having more tours of the u.s team abroad following the women's world cup which i think was a gap on their part um you know i mean i thought it was absolutely brilliant and i think we'll see it replicated i think it will inspire i know it's inspired uh players from latin america already to think about you know sort of uh, building on that aesthetically of turning the shirt inside out and finding ways to manipulate the federation symbol and right. I know I know because I follow a lot of the players on Twitter and I can see just how it meant it, it means a lot beyond even the US because the rest of the world and it's not only that the US has been spearheading this, but they've been really important in kind of global protests of women's um soccer. I I could see how much it meant to, to other women's teams as well. Um, you know, so that was it was really touching. You could see they were they, they were moved. And I, and I think it, it it says a lot. Um, all the all the statements they, they they made of just how they still don't see the potential, the revenue potential in this team. Like that last year, uh, or rather, whenever they finished the last CBA, and, and they're like, "Okay, you guys can have you know access to these marketing rights because we don't think they have any value." And the players association ran with that, started licensing their own items, and over the last year made more than a million dollars off their off merchandising rights that they previously didn't have. And it's like, we can do that with the inside out Jersey. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause there's no crest on it. If it doesn't have the crest on it, they don't don't have to have us soccer's permission. I'm like, absolutely ready to buy one. I mean, for me and all my kids, I was like, I I think it's tremendous. And and just like, I I think the brand is breaking teas that they've partnered with the national team. And so they have the ability to, you know, take a design and run with it almost immediately. So like last week when Sebastian responded to Kristen Press's goal with Kristen Press, what have you done? You know, like in three days, a a t-shirt is online to sell right and the the players are benefiting from that and this is the kind of thing that you know 
think of how long the, these women have been at the top of the top of their game, you know, more than 20 years and U.S. soccer has barely scratched the surface of taking advantage yeah. of it. Yeah, you know. absolutely. And I, you know, I would just like to say one other thing. I mean, if this continues to go on like this and, you know, I know Cindy Parlow is now going to replace Carlos Cordero and I've met her and I admire her and I, I hope um, all good and wonderful things, but I also know that it's hard to change a big organization with one personnel change, even if it's at the top. Um, but many of us are signing up our girls right now for club soccer, sometimes in three and four different clubs. And right. it's really, really important to think about the fact, like, do we want to be part of an organization that will talk about legally per- persecute the very <laughs> people that our children admire and that inspire them to play the sport. And I just, it was like right at the time when I was signing up for a tournament, which will now never happen because of coronavirus, but uh, which is fine. But as I'm signing up, I'm reading these things and I, I know it doesn't seem like a lot. I think it's a dollar per registered player per right. member organization. But, like, but that's a lot dollar. of money across the country. Yeah. Especially if you think about the fact that, you know, some of our kids are in three, four, five, six different organizations yeah. in a given year. And that's and, the same with adult. That's the same with adult soccer. That's part of, you know, that's registered through through state associations. Like those, part of that money goes on. Yeah. Yeah. That's double. That's adults are double use. I believe. I believe it's a yeah. dollar. It's a dollar for a youth player and two dollars for an adult player. Right. So you you adults, even though, <laughs> even though there's fewer <laughs> of you, in this case, you're twice as important. Um, and so, you know, I just, I, I, I mean, I didn't, I don't see a lot of people pulling their kids out, but I do think it begs the question, which is, you know, what do you need them for? Yeah. And I just think we need to be asking that all the time and not let it go as a kind of, you know, just assumption that, that it makes sense. And I mean, we talk about this on burning all down all the time, because I, I think that, you know, my own work and lots of the other women on the podcast have, have, has sort of pointed towards, you know, we need to ask what is the use, what is the utility of the NCAA? Is it not just to deny players money? I mean, what is the utility of a FIFA anymore? I mean, these are sports that we're perfectly capable of organizing. Right. We do right. it all the time. And right. um, and and our girls soccer club here, and okay, it's true that we're not going to develop probably the next Megan Rapino, but whatever. You never um, know. We don't know. and But the point is, we can perfectly find capable coaches and referees, and we do it all the time, and they, they volunteer anyway. So it's worth just asking, how much are we willing to give for and this most, federation? Most people have no idea that, you know, their youth club is connected to what's to U.S. soccer or to FIFA. But it is, if you're playing sanctioned soccer, it is all all connected. And, you know, it's, I, I think this is going to bring a lot of awareness of that to people. And I think back, um, reading in your book about, um, the 1970, 
unofficial, as they call it, Women's World Cup that was held in Mexico. And like, wasn't it FIFA calling the Mexican men's club saying, if you help this tournament, you know, we're going to pull your funding or something like that. Yeah, but we'll, just like, we'll, we'll sanction you, we'll punish you. We'll yeah. Find ways. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That was 1971. And even without FIFA, without CONCACAF, without too much support of the Federation, they filled the Estadio Azteca for that tournament in Mexico. And there was about 110,000 people. Yeah. And it never gets talked about, right? Because it wasn't a FIFA, you know, World Cup. So it's not official World Cup. It's sort of like the 1988 Invitational. Right. Um, You know, and and so it's just to to point, and this is another argument in U.S. Soccer Federation's court filings was about, you know, the prize money. Uh huh. The the men have more responsibility because there's more potential that they'll get more prize money. I I, I, I didn't even know what to say to that. I mean, (laughs) I don't even know what to say to that. It's just like, are they just hoping that the judge knows nothing about soccer? Like, they're just like, please, you know, don't question that one. Like, it's totally possible they're going to take the next World Cup. (laughs) I mean, just because FIFA is, is, is full of rampant corruption and sexist shouldn't be like the reason that you're gonna, that you're gonna then say, well, you know, what can we do? So, I mean, anytime anyone pulls FIFA out in a, in an argument about gender equity as their backup, I just, I, it's pretty sad. my face. And I mean, hats off to Meg Linehan for, for, you know, tweeting out those court filings and staying up at night because I couldn't go to bed either just watching her go through all of those documents. I, I was up too. I'm like, oh, I should go to bed. No, this is too good. This is too good. <laughs> no, everyone she was doing. And, and and the reason it is good, I actually think it's really, in some ways, it's very constructive. And it is because it gets around all of these sort of obfuscating arguments about the market and about, um, you know, packaged uh, bundled rights, which confuses people. Mm-hmm. And it gets to just what is at the heart of the argument? And yeah. the heart of the argument is just misogynist. And, and that's something that I really took away from from my time in Moscow working the Men's World Cup makes makes me think of that. There was that um, on the final day of the World Cup, you know, the the final in Moscow. Um, I was working for Fox, and Fox set up. They had a live feed from Paris from the spot where the World Cup set would end up being in Paris. And so that whole day they were teasing like, hey, and we'll be back next summer. We'll be in Paris and here's a live shot from Paris and, you know, all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. Not a single other broadcaster did anything like that. But more importantly, there was no hint, promotion, mention in any of FIFA's own things in the Red Square, any of the fan zones, nothing nothing referencing the women's world cup and yeah, it's and, I mean, and it's I mean, the kind yeah. of thing that that it's it's like hey if you actually wanted to make money off this thing that would be a natural you know for the last few days of the fan fest right when there's not as many games as going on and you know just just like hey join us in france next summer right or or let the mm-hmm. french federation come out 
and pay for their own display, right? Because Qatar was there with a huge exhibit, you know, of, hey, we'll be yeah. hosting in 2022. You know, it's, it's like, it's just not even occur to them. And and well, to me, I've said this yeah. to people, I was, I was like, to me, that's, that's where the real sexism lies is like, it just doesn't even occur to them. Yeah, it's just blatant neglect. I yeah. mean, the I mean, wouldn't it be nice to know where the where the next women's World Cup will be? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be I nice mean, if they planned it eight to ten years out, like the way they plan? <laughs> or the four, events? or yeah. four. I mean, let's just let's just say four. I mean, let's say you might yeah. have FIFA figured it out before the 2019 World Cup, because like I already know where the 2026 World Cup is. Right. And I've known for a long ass time. Well, and the so, whole thing, the whole thing too, of, of like, oh, oh, but it needs to expand and people pressure them to expand and say, okay, we'll expand and we'll do it for next time. So everybody had to withdraw their bids and bid again. It's like, okay, so you're going to k- take credit for expanding it, but it's going to be even more of a shit show tournament because there was less time to plan. But that makes no sense. I mean, a place like Brazil doesn't need to redo that like they just had the men's World Cup. <laughs> no no not... I'm, I'm saying fifa fifa right went back I, and said we're setting up a new deadline I right know. yeah i know and i'm saying that was totally pointless that yeah. was there was no reason they needed to do that colombia is gonna host the copa america australia has you know rugby world cup these are not the people that were bidding yeah. are not countries that needed to like come yeah, up. They're, with they've already 32. hosted big things. Yeah. They've yeah. already hosted really big events. So that's just, that's just a bunch of, you know, we, we aren't ready to do it because we've got other things on our plate right now. And thus we're going to just push it ahead because who cares? Cause it's just women. Yeah. Yeah. Who cares? It just, you know, keeps making more and more money and more and more people are watching. So we have to be really mean. Yeah. We have to be really mean to it because, oh my God, it might be a threat. Like, uh, whatever. Like we've tried so hard to do so little and people just keep on at it. I mean, I don't feel it. Like it's like everything despite them, um, you know, and it'll be interesting. I, 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 I was really surprised. I don't know if you were during the Women's World Cup, the way in which Ada Hergelberg was treated, like the absence of her was treated in terms of like politically. And a lot of people were sort of like, I don't understand her decision. And da, 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 da. And I wonder now, like if after watching the U.S. women, if her kind of decisions will be will be revisited and seen as something yeah. different. Well, I know the people that that I did research for for Fox. Most of their issue with Ada Hutterberg was like she won't spell out the reasons. Please tell us the reasons because they they could tell it was something like you know she would just say like Norway's not treating us right, and they're like, tell us more. Like because of course these are journalists who would love to say Norway's not doing this this this, but it's like what. What, you know, and what I found interesting, Brenda, was the people who said, why did they keep talking about Otta Hedeberg not being here? I'm like, that's huge. She's that's really, huge. really good like, like, at the football. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what if Cristiano Ronaldo said, nah, exactly. not going? You know, it's, exactly. it's like, it's like this, is, this is actually treating the women's game the same as the men's game. One of the best players in the world is choosing not to go. Why? Yeah. And that's the kind of thing. It's like, tell us why, Otto. We want the story. We want the story. Now, I would say I would think my biggest complaint about um, 
in, in terms of perception and media around the Women's World Cup, and this is really actually game experience. Um, I don't know if you saw on TV, but so many of the games, they had someone in stadium that did a countdown to the actual kickoff of the ball in each half, which made it very circus-like. Oh, no, I was there. Okay. But I, didn't, I wasn't watching it. I, I watched some of the broadcast, but I was in France for yeah. some of it as well. Yeah, that there, there's, there's still this. This is a party. This is a festival, but this isn't the most mm. important game in the world. Um, mm. And and also the dare, dare to shine, which I know that's the American version of the of yeah. the motto. Like because the the French, what looked to me was like the moment to shine with my bad French translation. Mm. That the French, which which I'm like, that's a great motto. But why is the English one dare to shine? Like, you know, ooh, you're so yeah. naughty going down yeah. there. <laughs> right. So I, I think about, you know, France last summer. It's like lots of progress. You know, something's still kind of frustrating. I feel like the DJ got a lot more attention in some of those games than actual, you know, yeah. the, the event. But definitely way more merch, way more attention, you know, much better coverage coverage in many more places that kind of thing and and that's why it just floors me that it's like why wouldn't you want to keep building this why is this seen as a threat to the world cup why can't you have two major events why can't it be like summer and winter olympics right right you know but I really appreciate you, Brenda, taking the time to vent. I'm sure you needed to vent. Um, maybe this will help you prep for, <laughs> for recording Burn It All Down. And if, if anybody hasn't read Football Era, I highly recommend getting a copy oh. of Brenda's Football Era. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. You just keep doing great work. Right, time to wrap it up with the back four first and very foremost. NWSL has paused all preseason activity for the time being. All preseason games are canceled. Teams aren't practicing for at least another week. Um, no statement yet on the regular season because we're still a little about five weeks out. Um, but hey, thank God there's virtually seven seasons worth of games still available to watch online to keep yourself entertained while we all hunker down. The 2013 through 2016 seasons are on YouTube, on NWSL's YouTube channel, and games for 2017, 2018, 2019 are accessible via the schedule pages on NWSLsoccer.com. So if you watch every game since the beginning, that should keep you busy for at least 50 days. Not a bad idea if you've got nothing else to do. And another way to keep yourself entertained is with the latest Keeper Notes NWSL Almanac. This 350-page comprehensive guide to the NWSL's first seven season features a complete player and coach registry, stats by season, all-time player and team records, color photos, club jersey numbers, attendance data, lots more. You cannot get all this information in one place anywhere else. So you can order now at keepernotes.com. You can buy it in print, you can buy the PDF, or you can buy both. And I am working on a Dash-specific almanac and also for this summer an Olympic history, women's soccer Olympic history almanac. 
And we now have the new U.S. soccer home and away jerseys. The teams have been wearing them. They are available for pre-order. They won't be released uh, for retail till sometime in April. But you can pre-order them now from Soccer for All. That's the store that I used to run in Houston. Uh, so you can go to SoccerForAll.com, and that's the number four, and just search for USA, place a pre-order. Uh, if you want to customize a USA kit, email the manager, Sean, and that's Sean at SoccerForAll.com, S-H-A-W-N, and just say, hey, Sean, Jen Cooper, the keeper, sent me to you. I want to customize a USA jersey. He can help you out. He can also help with Dash jersey orders, other custom NWSL gear. If you need a fourth star added to a jersey, He's the one to help you out. Sean at SoccerForAll.com, S-H-A-W-N. And note that any USA jerseys not purchased via USSoccer.com do not benefit US soccer. So in case you're concerned about that because of all the shit they've been pulling, pardon my French lately, you know, if you want your money to go to retailers, small retailers, then buy from a small retailer. And speaking of the U.S. Women's National Team, the two April friendlies that were planned, they have officially been canceled. Refunds will be offered for anyone who bought tickets. The team is supposed to have two domestic friendlies in June during that June FIFA window. Of course, right now we're all in the wait and see mode. So until we have soccer back, please, everyone, stay safe. Wash your hands a lot. Please don't hoard toilet paper. All right, so that's it for this episode. Thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scars, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. And hey, maybe someday to NWSL, now that we have a new commissioner. And also, thanks to Icarus FC, you can make a completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday League squad, adult team, indoor team, whatever. Go to IcarusFC.com. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone who shares this podcast with friends or talks about it on Twitter or Facebook or Reddit. And many thanks to Sean and the Beautiful Game Network for making this podcast possible. But now she's anybody's good.